I'm Sam Clements, and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. This is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime and is entirely curated by guests on this podcast. Today, we're joined by film and TV critic Amon Warman. Hello, Amon. Hello. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. How's critic life? It's <laughs> busy. You know, there's uh, screenings to attend every week. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm writing a couple of pieces for a couple of big outlets in there as well. So, so yeah, it's busy, but it's good. I admire people who do what you do, you know, freelance critics who, you know, you, you have to have be so disciplined <laughs> to fit all this stuff in. Over the years, do you find it's gotten easier? To discipline myself? No. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been doing this for around nine years now. There's some things which are easier now than they were when I first started. The fact that I've been doing it for that long means that I know a considerable amount of people. And that definitely helps. The fact that I'm much better at networking than I was when I first started also helps. So that's good. You know, you're always sort of, you're always sort of after more access at times. And that can be, that can be tricky at times as well. But I think overall, you know, I'm, I'm proud of sort of how far I've come. I'm proud of the position I now find myself in. And uh, yeah, I've got plans to take it to the next level. Um, I also want to pay it forward as well because you know, I'm one of the few people of colour still on the UK circuit, and that's a shame. Um, there's a number of critics, I, there's a number of screenings I go to rather, uh, where I'm one of maybe two uh, people of colour in the audience, and it's always you know a shame when I see something like that. So you know, anything that I can do to help foster that you know next generation coming up to make it easier for them, especially if they are people of colour. I want to try and do that too. That sounds like a really you know, it's a really great thing to do. And there's a small group of people within the critical community who are like really focusing on developing uh, people's careers. And I think it's really good that we're having those those conversations right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, there's there's a few good ones, like Simon Brew, I'm a massive fan of. Mm. Uh, he's uh, doing a really good job with uh, Film Stories and Film Stories Junior right now. And he's a sort of a daily inspiration. He's incredible. But yeah, no, it's something that we have to do i know when i was coming up you know there's a bit of gatekeeping industry there's still a little bit of gatekeeping that goes on now that's something i cannot stand and you know <laughs> i'm sure people who know me will agree but i like to talk to everyone at screenings <laughs> people <laughs> some, sometimes my friends hate that because they're like i'm on need to save a seat but i'm like i'm trying to network and say hi and you know a good opinion on a movie can come from anywhere and we have to do a better job of in the younger generation of instilling that no this is your opinion you've got to see it through you've got to articulate why you feel that way and see it, sort of see it through and sort of advertise it because i think again it's very easy to get lost in that and we need to be careful and mindful of that you know the joy of this world we work in is that film and tv is subjective everybody's going to have different backgrounds coming to a piece of art and and i think we should talk about it and Absolutely. actually i love i'm really in, interested when i'm talking to someone who didn't like a film i loved or loves a film i didn't like that's an interesting conversation for me Absolutely. it's really good as well when you can nod along and go like yes we're all collectively right mm -hmm. but uh, you know why did you I, I get it a lot i like some people would say questionable films jupiter ascending has come up on this podcast <laughs> in the past it's a I wonderful film like, i think I like this i'll defend it to the death <laughs> but i understand if you don't like it and that's cool but let's talk about it <laughs> 
sadly over 90 minutes long so basically <laughs> dead to me with this add-on. You, you're on podcast i see you in empire magazine and, and, and things which is really fantastic i know you're a film fan is there a moment where you're like oh pinch me i'm writing for empire or like, <laughs> what's been that sort of moment for you oh man when i first sort of did a couple of articles for empire that was really really cool it's a magazine that i've been reading for easily the last decade when i was in boarding school and there's one of few magazines I used to read all the time. It was surreal to first start writing for them. It was surreal to get sent to LA to do a piece for them, which ended up being a big feature in the magazine. It was surreal to write the cover feature for their sister magazine, Pilot TV. That all happened last year. And that was amazing. It's still always a thrill to sort of see your name in Empire Magazine for me. I don't think that will ever fully go away because yeah, I admire it a lot and I admire it only more ever since I sort of, you know, luckily been managed to be a small part of it. Cause yeah, having sort of been, having, having been on the inside a little bit, I just know all the blood, sweat and tears that goes into making those magazines month in, month out. And those guys are the best at what they do. And I feel like, you know, it's it's interesting in this industry, like I've, I've been doing this for a while and most of the time, for the vast majority of my career, I've self-edited my work, which is not a bad thing, but working with editors who know what they're doing and you know how to give you constructive feedback, I feel like I'm actually improving as a writer for the first time in a while. So, yeah, I'm very very grateful and again to be one of the only sort of people of color in in that sort of space i'm very aware and cognizant of that and to say trying to take that to the next level i've been on tv a few times uh, last year talking about oscars and the blue story and, and when that happened and you know one of my future goals is to sort of get on tv get a regular tv gig not only because you know i think that, that it'd be the be a nice use of sort of all the different skills i've acquired in the past sort of you know few years or so but again i know the impact it would have had on me as a film fan to see a person who looks like me on screen weekly being passionate and talking about film so if i can be that for somebody else then that's definitely uh be a big deal for me so that's, i mean i'd love to love to see that and also actually for any tv producers out there amon is a snappy dresser <laughs> like you want to see this guy on tv <laughs> i know we're doing a podcast but you know, just just trust me listeners <laughs> thank you very much sam i appreciate it <laughs> i'm always like oh it's a podcast oh oh i got some clothes on that's all that counts <laughs> i try and live my life by a simple mantra look good smell good feel good when you're watching a film do you think about the film's runtime? I don't. I gotta say, sometimes the complaining about you know runtimes before you've seen the film it bugs me because I think you have to you you, you can't know whether the runtime is good or bad until you've seen the film. Let the film justify its own runtime. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If it does, it does. But you can't tell until you've seen the film. So some and. The thing that bugs me about it is that, you know, the same people who will be like, you know, and, and I'll be one of the one of those people, the same people who are like, you know, Avengers Endgame's three hours, that's amazing, make it four hours, I want to see all of it, will be like, you know, you know, three hours is too long for a comedy, three hours is too long for it, before they have fully even seen the film. I'm like, you can't be, if, if you're going to be annoyed about runtimes, you've got to be annoyed about for, for everything. You can't just be picking and choosing. I think a lot of people do that and it bugs me. 
I mean, yeah, and that's the correct philosophy to runtimes. Obviously, we're celebrating films with under 90 minutes, but you know what? I don't want to see an under 90 minute cut of Lawrence of Arabia. That <laughs> yeah. film at three and a half hours is absolutely perfect. Don't touch a hair on its head. But isn't it so good when you find that, that fantastic well, you have a film? Great under 90 minute <laughs> film, I do agree. And I also say that you know, there are exceptions to the rule. Nobody wants to see like a four hour Michael Bay Transformers movie. And if you see that runtime before you see it, you know, I can, you know, I, I won't get too mad if you're annoyed about that online before for, for the film stars. But, mm-hmm. you know, generally my rule is I, I don't mind one times you know I just I'll give the film every opportunity to justify it because there's plenty of films over two hours which I really really love so, you know, a, a long run time is okay with you that's cool yeah that's but when a film is is under 90 minutes that's also fantastic yes <laughs> Amon what film did you choose for the 90 minutes or less film first I chose Batman Beyond Return of the Joker The Joker is back with a vengeance, and Gotham's newest Dark Knight needs answers as he stands alone to face Gotham's most infamous clown prince of crime. Full stop. <laughs> the delivery was A+, plus, can I just say. <laughs> it's also a little bit inaccurate, because stands alone, that's not necessarily true, because Bruce Wayne, the original Batman, he's always in uh, Terry's corner. I meant, I meant that Amazon is a bit incorrect. Let's maybe just to give some background. So 73 minutes long, a really wonderful runtime. Uh, there it was released in 2000 and it's the actually kind of links to another film we've covered on this show, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, the 90s animated movie based on the animated series. And this is kind of a continuation of the animated series story arc, isn't it? Now we see Bruce Wayne, he's retired, he's old. He looks really old <laughs> in this film, but he's still a huge triangle of a man, uh, which is great. But there's a new a new lad who he's taken under his bat wing, yeah. uh, Terry uh, Terry McGuinness? Terry McGuinness. Terry right, McGuinness, yeah. who's, who's become the new Dark Knight that the, the, the blurb alludes to. And it's really nice because you see this like new Gotham, this sci-fi sort of Gotham. It feels a bit like Akira or something like a cyberpunk uh, yeah. sort of thing. So this is basically like, I guess, a sequel to the TV series. And this is a spin-off. Of, of that TV series. So yeah. I think this movie was originally aired on TV and then there was a VHS and a Blu-ray and a DVD. And I still remember the VHS. <laughs> that is how I first watched it. There was a, that, that was the PG-ified version of this movie because there's a, there's a PG, PG-ified, I'm going to stick with that term, uh, <laughs> PG-ified version and then there's an uncut version. The first time I watched it, it was the PG-ified version, which is still sort of very effective and very cool. I didn't sort of fully understand the final points that when the first time I watched it at that age but having sort of gone back to it in recent years I've really come to appreciate its place in the Batman animated series mythology. It's the 90s when people weren't sort of superheroes were big of course but they're not as big as they are today. <laughs> not even close. But actually Batman animated series was so groundbreaking in so many ways it started a tradition that DC still upholds in Warner Brothers, these sort of feature length animated films with Mask of the Phantasm. And they've been they've been doing it ever since. And the film we're sort of talking about is one of those, you know, they they did a few sort of Batman feature length films uh, before this. And and I sort of like that it's part of this sort of tradition that they're, they're still part of today. Now that DC is much more well known in the wider sort of context, <laughs> the, the Warner Brothers DC partnership is bigger than ever before. But they're just actually churning out these really great original and in Batman Beyond and and, and this film, very original uh, superhero stories. And uh, and I'm sort of because like animated series has quite a big legacy, mm-hmm. but I think Batman Beyond is less well known. 
A little bit, a little bit, yeah. It's a bit of a shame. I think Batman the Animated Series is, you know, widely touted as the greatest sort of super animated show. Obviously, it started the whole DCAU. Its legacy is, you know, ironclad and rightfully so. Mm. But Batman Beyond, it's a really great continuation of it. And it's really interesting because, you know, just getting into this film a little bit, it feels like the Joker in this movie is voicing many sort of, you know, fans who who were kind of like, you know, not willing to give Terry his proper due. Mm. And I like that because there's a line where he says, uh, where he's like critiquing the noobs, the Batman outfit. And he's like, is it too long? And I missed the cape, but not too shabby, not too shabby at all. You can imagine fans saying that when they first saw the Batman Beyond costume. And there's a couple of other lines the Joker says, which are very much not wanting to give, like Terry is not the real Batman. He's just, you know a guy in a, in, a, in a costume, which is another reason why this film is so great because having, having watched the animated show beforehand, I had obviously, you know, seen that, you know, Terry had earned the mantle, but this is a film that really doubles down on it. And, you know, after this film, I think any Bat fan would be hard-pressed to sort of deny Terry the props he deserves. This film actually came in, the series had been on for maybe a season before this film existed. Right, yeah. And maybe this film is a way of them like getting Mark Hamill back, uh, you know, to say these lines as I actually, you know, the head teacher's in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, yeah. you all need to enjoy Terry because Terry's the future. Yeah. And we, you know, we're going to sort of bring back this iconic character in, in, in this way. What's really struck me is like, the Phantasm film is incredible, quite grown up. I think this film is even more grown up. Oh, yeah. That. Like, this feels like if you were a fan at the time and you've sort of grown up with the animated series, this story has got layers and it's very dark. It's extremely dark. Like, the uncut version of this is genuinely disturbing. And, yeah, I can see why there is a, here it comes again, PGified version of it. Because there's some things what the Joker does. There's obviously, you know, one of the high points, if not the high point of this entire movie, is that flashback sequence mm. to the sort of classic uh, Batman uh, sort, of, sort of series where we learn the sort of depths of Joker's villainy. And again, the uncut version of that is really sadistic and sinister and dark and creepy and all the rest of it. It just proves why, you know, Joker is, you know, has his. Uh, status as you know number one villain maybe of all time mm. in 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 this movie this is i think in any maybe not in any medium because there's some stuff that he's done in the comics which have been sort of arguably darker than what he does here but in terms of animated or live action medium this is as dark as the joker has gotten mm. and mark hamill's performance i mean just as kevin conway is batman to me mark hamill is joker and his performance in this is just incredible he manages to be darkly funny and vicious simultaneously which is not something which is easy to pull off but he definitely manages it he also has the best joker laugh to, oh, <laughs> to yeah. do sorry heath ledger and i i love i love heath ledger i think the dark knight i was just saying it's, it's the best sort of live action film to have batman in it mm-hmm. i think batman begins is the is a better batman film but that's you know different podcast mark hamill is the joker to me uh, the performance in this only solidifies only solidifies it both him and Conroy, like they're so entwined with those characters. Absolutely. And they do keep coming back. Yes, uh, please the... do. <laughs> please <laughs> continue making more stuff so they can keep coming back. I was just saying, I would love it if there's another Batman game voiced by Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. Well, we both we both love that franchise. I was boasting earlier how I can rattle off 500 hit combos now with Batman and Arkham Knight pretty easily. So, yeah, 
I should really put that in my Twitter bio, shouldn't yeah. I? <laughs> on everything. This is called... <laughs> by the way, guys. <laughs> Gotham, Joker's back in town. <laughs> Can't be. Oh no, your old eyes do not deceive you, Brucey. After all, you know me better than you. Over the years, there's been a lot of praise for the 15 rated and the R rated uh, right. superhero movie, Deadpool, the Joker movie, that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. But actually, yeah, to have to cut what was a spin-off of a kids TV show yeah. <laughs> to have this uncut version but it was I mean I, I was I think I watched the sort of PG rated version of this okay. and one of my notes was just this is dark <laughs> especially so, in that flashback scene so here's, here's how we tell whether you've watched the PG version or the uncut version when Joker kills Bonk like, for his introduction does he do it by gas or does he sort of shoot something into uh, into the chest of a Bonk he was chest chest shooting if it's chest shooting, then 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 you watch the uncut version. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. In the in the PGA five version, it's gas. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, so it's, it's gas with the second. second on shot. Amazon, if you rent it on Amazon, then that's that's the version you get. Okay. I think. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's uh. But that, I mean, that's why I was right then. It was dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, now between that and you know, I think one of the other cuts is they actually have Joker sort of stab Batman in the knee mm. sort of before he asked Tim to sort of kill Batman. I think it's like just in that scene seeing a child, um, Robin uh, at the time, yeah, uh, Tim tortured. Drake, tortured and then turned into the sort of Joker. He he has the Joker's gas and then yeah. he basically turned into a mini Joker. Mm-hmm. And it's, so, it's just like we're yeah. used to seeing Joker look like that, but yeah. to see sort of a child-sized version of it, quite haunting and then he's holding a gun and yeah. all that sort of stuff yeah. and I think it was released at that time where there was a lot of like video nasty kind of like video games mm. and movies are corrupting the youth oh, sort of boy. thing which is why everybody is quite sensitive uh, <laughs> to things and I think there was maybe a uh, you know, it was something big in the news at the time, and they were like, I think Warner's were just like, actually, we need to rein this in because <laughs> yeah. we're, you know, it's basically targeted for kids, I yeah. guess. It doesn't have to go on TV. So in a supermarket, you can put your VHS out and hope parents are going to buy it for mm. kids because it's got Batman on it. Yeah. I remember when Batman Returns came out, I was too young to see it at the cinema, but I was like begging my mum to buy it for me in our local Asda <laughs> in Bristol, and she did. Yeah. And then there's that scene where Penguin bites that woman's nose, yeah. and my mum regretted buying me Batman <laughs> But I never yeah. bit anyone else's nose. You know, so the video nasty That's good to know, Sam. That's good to know. But yeah, no, that, that flashback sequence is... It's amazing, but it's very, very dark. And the delivery of the lines that Joker has to to Batman then, because he he been obviously he been going up against Batman for years at that point. The glee, the understated glee he has in finally having gotten through to him and broken mm-hmm. him to an extent, is very much evident in the delivery of those lines. It was like secrets that are mine alone to know. Bruce mm. and oh, it's, it's just such a fantastic sequence it's one of the high points of the DCAU overall I think mm. just the performances the animation the, 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 the fight sequences for this, movie, for this movie are uniformly great you know just the combination you know people who understand the Batman character I love it when those people are in charge of action sequences because the combination of smarts non-lethal weaponry and hand-to-hand combat. If you do that right, it's very, very, very cool to watch. Hello, I'm Martin Zotzorstwick. And I'm Sam Hay. And together we make a podcast called Song, Song by Song. Song. But we don't do it alone. Almost every week we have a guest. And we've had some wonderful guests, including writers John Ronson, 
John Hodgman, Simon Stevens. We've had uh, musicians Eliza Rickman, uh, Jenny Conley-Drizos from the Decemberists, and Jeremy Wormsley and Elizabeth Sankey from Summer Camp. Uh, we've had podcasters Jenny Owen Youngs, Jeffrey Craner, and Phoebe Judge. All sorts of people join us to talk about the music of Tom Waits. And if that sounds fun, why don't you join us too? You can do that at our website, songbysongpodcast.com, or search for Song by Song wherever you get your podcasts. Because I don't know the Batman Beyond universe as much, as well as I do sort of the other animated series stuff. I like how they sort of evolved the look of the show. Mm. Like, character design in this is is really good. I think, again, the Warner Brothers animation on the DC projects is always fantastic. But, you know, seeing, I guess, even things like the updated Joker. So in, in this film... You see classic versions of the characters, but in the future, when Joker returns, as the it's synopsis really says, <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, no, the, the, his introduction scene is well, the introduction rather is fantastic because I think he's sort of cloaked in shadow, and all you can really see are his red eyes. And then when he kills Bunk, it's like, oh no, no, it wasn't. And then he finds come to the light, and it's really dark and creepy. The design in this is really good. It's one of the sort of things that DCAU has always gotten right. The only thing I would say is that the dancing and the music, I mean, you know, I need clearly need to teach some of these guys some moves because it's it's <laughs> it's, it's not good. It's not good. That's one thing that I will say that the, the, the classic animated series has over Batman Beyond because the music by Shirley Walker, mm. the Batman theme and the different variations and how that theme develops over episodes and doing the movies and everything else is really, really good and really, really powerful. And when they bring it back for a couple of Batman Beyond episodes, it's always a big, big deal. Christopher Cardo has done some fantastic work across the DCAU, especially in Justice League. He doesn't really fully manage to sort of bring that really recognisable, powerful theme that reoccurs. We don't really get that in Batman Beyond. It's probably my only criticism of the movie. So I quite liked how expressive it was talking about those dance scenes. You're right, the moves are not good. <laughs> but actually, it's got that really inventive, like animation flourish there there's really like bold colors lots yeah. of people in silhouette and like it was quite expressive which we do see a lot in the original stuff and that was like the first time in the film i think where i was like oh okay mm. they're doing something a bit different here yeah. it's it's sort of it's just quite expressionist mm-hmm. and clearly someone they got some just great talented animators working on on this to do those sort of scenes yeah. and and i, I again I, I just feel like these films maybe aren't as rewarded for some of this stuff as other animated films are like wh- why do you think these animated films in particular just don't get the kind of critical love or even really the marketing push by the studio? <sighs> I wish I knew, um, honestly. It's a hard question to answer. I think if they had maintained the quality of your Mask of the Phantasm, of the Return of the Jokers, then that might be different. Mm. The reality is that they've been a bit hit and miss over the past few years. There's some which I've really, really liked. There's some which I've abhorred (laughs) so there's that fact too unfortunately but true batman fans will know about masculine phantasm true batman fans will know about the ten of the joker and how special these movies are Mm. i guess it's up to us to sort of you know keep that flag burning and you know introduce the next generation of batman fans to the goodness that is these movies again i cannot wait for my nieces and nephews to grow up to I got just hard drives full of entertainment, just like, okay, now I'm going to come over to Uncle Amon's, I'm going to watch this, this, and this today. <laughs> I can't wait. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know, grew up very, very nerdy and geeky, and, you know, thankfully I've been, you know, blessed with, you know, like really, really great stuff in the last decade or so for sure. To grow up now 
when you have so much really high quality superhero entertainment available to you, I can only imagine the excitement and you know the because I know how special you know you know watching certain things for the first time was. I know how special watching Endgame Infinity War Black Panther was. I know how special watching you know some of the moments in Mask of the Phantasm and Return of the Joker are. And there are times in my life where I like I wish I could just you know forget that I had seen them and watch it for the first time again <laughs> because I know how special the moment was. So I, I almost envy sometimes my uh, people growing up in this generation who are interested in this sort of stuff because they've got a lot to look forward to. I sort of had that with this, to be honest, because I, I, again, I, I said I, I really like these films, but I've not seen this one. Mm. And I'm really glad you chose it because I hadn't seen it, but also because it is a... Like a lot of these films, it's not just a superhero film. This one, it's like a, it's a mystery. It's, it's, a, it's, a, really it's, it's actually a detective film as well. Where Batman is a detective. Let's not forget that, guys. The, the thing is, how is Joker alive? Mm-hmm. And Barbara Gordon says, you know, like we, he's dead. We buried him. Yeah. It's quite dark lines yeah. there, and and there, and you you see him be killed in the past. Just mm-hmm. reason for that flashback. And it is like a legit mystery. And they introduce all of these like potential people who it is. Yeah. And you and know, the reveal yeah. is again creepy and dark and unsettling and all the rest of it. I love that we get to see Terry flex all those Batman muscles mm. in this. And you know, one of my obviously this is a really great Joker story, but it's also a really great. Batman story mm. in the DCAU especially they doubled down on the fact that Bruce is the mask and Batman is the real mm. man with Terry it's the reverse and I like that because it just emphasizes the, the differences that the different ways you can be Batman you don't have to have all the darkness to sort of you know have that be a, you know your character and again I highly recommend watching the Justice League series mm. and they have that episode epilogue fantastic sort of coda on the Batman animated series as a a whole but you know to the point where Amanda Waller was considering killing Terry's parents because that's just the the path of Batman and even in this movie Joker has that line to Terry where it's like you know I feel like superheroes always need sort of element of tragedy to them don't you when he's threatening to kill Bruce and then all of this is sort of, you know, tied up beautifully with that line Bruce has to Terry. I've been thinking about something you once told me and you were wrong. It's not Batman that makes you worthwhile. It's the other way around. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. And that is something which Bruce really needed to hear. Mm-hmm. And now he's sort of telling it to Terry because, you know, Bruce is very much, again, all about Batman. And, you know, the mask is just, you know, Bruce is just like the playboy persona. But Terry... While he may not have the the smarts, all the smarts of Bruce, he's got the heart and he's got the will. Mm. And those are more important characteristics when it comes to being Batman. And again, in that epilogue episode, which I mentioned, Amanda Waller, just go and watch Justice League, it's amazing. (laughs) But he has has that line, you want to be a different sort of Batman to Bruce, take care of the people in your life or don't. And this is one of the beautiful things about this movie. The Batman Beyond series starts with Bruce sort of hanging up the how we sort of learn over the series how he's alienated the people and the allies in his life this tells you why because he blames himself for what happens to tim drake and this was the beginning of that alienation and we get to see sort of you know how and why that happened and again it just emphasizes the, the difference between bruce and terry and how the differences need not be sort of you know negatives but can be strengths and can be positives and i think you know if you haven't sort of if you're not familiar with this series as a whole after you've watched this movie go and watch batman beyond or go and watch uh, justice league epilogue i believe it's episode 12 of season four 
or maybe episode 23 or season 3 if you watch it in sort of that way but it's a really good episode to watch after this movie to sort of tie everything together it takes a look at sort of the future future uh, Batman so it's like a, maybe 20 years after the end of this movie and it's really really interesting and will answer a lot of questions you maybe didn't even know that you had impudent brat who do you think you're talking to not a comedian I'll tell you that shut your mouth the real Batman never talked to you much did he that's probably why you were so fixated on him don't play psychoanalyst with me, boy. Oh, I don't need a degree to figure you out. The real reason you kept coming back was you never got a laugh out of the old man. I'm not hearing this. Get a clue, Clowny. He's got no sense of humor. He wouldn't know a good joke if it bit him in the cape. Again, this whole series, you know, it's like a decade-long running soap opera almost yeah. because <laughs> and this film is great because we get to see we see tim drake yeah. we see a, a robin uh, we see batgirl and barbara gordon in the future we see grown-up tim drake and what i like about the grown-up tim drake character is he you know he's completely done with caped crusading and all of that stuff mm. and and he's suffering this like post-traumatic stress of being this you know, guy's sidekick, you know, when he was a child. Yeah. And that was quite a grown-up thing to sort of face. And when you're watching Batman and Robin, it's just very exciting. Of course, there's a small boy doing Kung Fu uh, next to Batman, that's fine. Mm. But actually having a grown man sort of just like, you know, not be very comfortable talking about this mm -hmm. to, to Terry, who is going through the exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of like deep stuff. And I wish some of the other live action films actually discussed yeah. a sort of destructive legacy uh, of, of sort of being a vigilante. Yeah, now this film came out at a time when people who were making these cartoons were still allowed to have, you know, conversations and themes about these sort of things without without the need to get sweary, which I think too many super cartoons are doing that now and it's unnecessary. But just in terms of adult themes, uh, there's something that the Batman Arkham games also got right. Batman is a very malleable character. You can sort of make him sort of, you know, appeal to the young if you if you want, but the reason why you know these movies i think stand the test of time as well as they do is because they're appealing to uh, both the young and the slightly older uh, sort of uh, age age range and because they're having conversations about these sorts of things and, and having themes like this and really taking care and giving thought to what they're saying with these characters and you know not just having them be stock characters and actually having them be you know, emotional and interesting and interrogating, you know, difficult stuff. It's just not something that you see typically these days in other super animation because there's more of a focus on skewing them towards the younger age group. Therefore, they don't sort of feel the need to sort of go into sort of detail on the themes that this movie, that Mask of the Phantasm and that other super animated movies do, which is a shame because when they do it right, especially when you have the amount of lore to play with as the DC does, it can really lead to special content, which is what this is. It's a, it's a really fun sandbox to be playing in. Absolutely. And I think the people who made this film, have, they've picked out some really key ingredients. And, you know, like, I think it's like, you know, tackling, bringing back the Joker and doing all this sort of stuff. Mm. They just do it really, it's, it's justice. And I think a lot of reviews at the time, I did find a few reviews at the time, and a lot of them were just actually praising... You know, it's uh, it's so they were saying it sends off the Mark Hamill voice Joker in 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 such a great fashion. Yeah. Obviously, we know the Mark Hamill voice Joker does return, <laughs> but it was nice to see that not, it did get some notices for the performances. Yeah. Not not in this universe, but obviously in sort of other. But 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 yeah, 
he is again fantastic and you know Kevin Conroy Mark Hamill these are the voices I hear when I read Batman comics which I still do on a regular basis and I don't think that will ever change they are fantastic uh, in this and just you know are the character this full embodiment of the character in a variety of different ways they're just mm. exceptional and you know I, the, the number of tweets especially in the past year or so you know who is the best Batman if you're not answering Kevin Conroy to me that you're not you're not a true Batman fan he's, just, <laughs> he's, just, he's the one and only correct answer to that question I love Christian Bale I love what he did with that character I love what Nolan did I think Michael Keaton was very very good I even love some of the I love some of the stuff about Kevin and Batman Forever we're not going to talk about Batman and Robin <laughs> but uh, Kevin Conroy is is the man Well, there we go. So, Return of the Joker is in the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival. (laughs) Very pleased to present this in the cinema because actually this was a straight-to-video or a TV movie, so may well be the world premiere on the big screen. (laughs) I hope it is. But what we like to do at the festival is add a few events to the screening. So, we've got you a cinema. We've got you the movie. We're going to do that. But what would you bring to the cinema to maybe, like, you know, theme the experience? Do you want to offer something a bit experiential? Do you want to lift some elements out of the film to offer to the audience? Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Maybe we can have like a bingo card for like all the futuristic sort of sayings that they do. Because <laughs> obviously Shway is a big one in the Batman Beyond universe. And that gets said a lot of times. I'm sure there's a few others you can point out. Obviously, if you have a special guest, we have the whole like Kevin Conroy, Will Friedel, Mark Hamill. Oh, my goodness. I think the, the the problem is we wouldn't end up watching the film because I'd just be talking to them for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> Would but, we invite Melissa Joan Hart, who uh, who voices the DD, the twins? You know, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. I like Melissa Joan Hart. She's a very very cool lady by all accounts. But there are levels to this. And you know, Kevin Conroy, yes. Mark Hamill, yes. Will Friedel, yes. Mr. John Hunt. I know, you're inviting us in the mail. I, mean, I feel bad for her being on the stage. You know, there are, <laughs> there are levels to this. She's not quite on that level. It'd be the thing where, you know, I'm sure it does like a Q&A after my, you know, sort of, you know, questions. Like, it would, be, it would be bad for her because nobody would be asking her questions. It would be like Kevin Conroy, Mark Hammer, Will Friedel, and she'd just be over there in the corner like, looking at what's going on. You know what I mean? And I like Mr. John Hart, but, you know, again, there are levels to this. So, sorry, no Melissa. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you've got an, that's an incredible stage for doing that. <laughs> Do you think this film could or should be longer than 90 minutes? No, I don't think it needs to be longer than 90 minutes. Um, you know, it more than justifies its wrong time. I wouldn't mind if it was longer than 90 minutes purely because I love this universe so much and, you know, they did such a good job with it and, you know, I fully trust them to, you know, if if, if it was going to be longer than 90 minutes, I fully trust that whatever they would add would be great and I would be intrigued to see what that might be. But as it stands, this film doesn't need to be longer than 90 minutes. It's a very, very tight 73, I think. I was entertained. Well, maybe entertained is the wrong word considering what happens. But yeah, I was gripped by by all of it. I think it's a really, really great movie. I hope more Batman fans check it out because I think they'll find a lot to love. Absolutely. And it's nice actually when a film leaves you wanting more because, or this film leaves you wanting more because there's a whole three seasons, I think, of Batman there Beyond. There is, yeah. Three uh, seasons of Batman Beyond. There's a ton of seasons of the you know Batman animated series, which obviously uh, sort of transitioned into the new Batman adventures. Some of those episodes are really good too, featuring another, you know, many 
other great performances by Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. There's a lot of Batman content to check out if you haven't already. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're all sitting nicely in, in my home. I, I, I return to them every now and then. But the, my, my problem is I've seen them so many times now that it's almost a little bit boring to rewatch them sometimes. <laughs> but they are spectacular. And again, no, I'm, I may have mentioned this on this pod already, but Justice League. Guys, <laughs> you need to check that show out. It is fantastic. You know, just off the top of my head, my favorite episodes, the Star-Crossed, which is sort of a big sort of season ending situation, which which Batman is heavily sort of involved in, is great. But, you know, there are so many Batman moments I could point out. We'd be talking here for another three hours, which I wouldn't mind, but <laughs> I'm guessing you... <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a really good show. Oh, fantastic. Well... Really glad to have Return of Joker in the festival, our second animated Batman film. <laughs> I do hope we developed a strand uh, with DC animated films. I think it could be quite a fun little sidebar Absolutely. Uh, to the festival, getting these films on the big screen as well. It's uh, it's always fun. So thank you so much for bringing us uh, to the festival, Amon. If people want to want to hear about what you're up to on, on social media, where should they head to? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at a woman. You can find uh, all my sort of reviews and writings and my montage when it's finally ready. Uh, you could be able to check it out from there. And I'm sure if you search YouTube for a montage, you'll get, yes. a, get a, quite a few uh, <laughs> options <laughs> last seven years. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, become a, it's become a thing, as they say. Oh, amazing. Well, we'll include a link in the show notes, listeners, if you, uh, if you want to watch the uh, a montage. Thank you for listening. Uh, subscribe to our show on your podcast of choice and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. As an independent podcast, it really helps. We're also available on 90minfilmfest.com. That's 90minfilmfest.com. You can contact us there or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest. The show was produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. The show is edited by Louise Owen with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network. Head over there for some more fantastic pods. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.